Hello and welcome to Launch Into Teaching with me, Julia Padgett. This is a podcast for new or early career teachers who want to become the next generation of outstanding practitioners and teaching colleagues. This season is dedicated to teacher recruitment. I have spoken with some incredible school leaders that have offered up their insights to help you secure your next teaching job. So even if you're not sure if you'll apply for a job in that sector, I think it's well worth listening to all the interviews because you'll pick up bits and pieces from each of their different pieces of advice. Today, I'm joined by Michael Horn. He has held many roles throughout his career, such as Head of English, Head of Senior School, Associate Principal, and is the newly appointed Principal of the Hamilton and Alexandra College. He contributes to education more broadly. He writes for Oxford University Press and is very nearly finished his doctorate with Melbourne University. Welcome, Michael. Hello, Julia. It's just lovely to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us. So you're my only regional school that I'm interviewing for this first season. So can you tell us a little bit about the Hamilton and Alexandra College? Certainly can. So I have been at the Hamilton Alexandra College only for about six months now. So I've moved out from one regional school to another. So regionality and regional schools is something that's very much in my background. Uh, the Hamilton Alexandra College is an interesting school. We're relatively small, We've got about 500 students from ELC through to year 12. Uh, but we have a great, uh, proud and a, and a very long history. So we are 151 years old this year, uh, celebrating our SESB centenary last year in 2022. Um, we draw from uh, obviously the local Hamilton town, but we have a lot of our students who come from a radius of up to an hour and a half daily on a, on a bus, and we have a fairly significant boarding contingent as well. So our boarding house currently has about 85 students, uh, which represents what's that, almost 20% of our cohort. So our, our boarding, the aspect of, of the college, which is boarding, is very, very important to the culture of the school and to the way that it feels. Um, but it is... A school that's in an interesting place because Hamilton has is very well served by by schools in general, but secondary schools in particular. So only about ten thousand people in Hamilton, but we have four uh, four large-ish secondary schools plus another smaller one too. So it's an interesting sort of hub of um, of education, and we've been right in the heart of it for one hundred and fifty years. Exciting. Let's unpack the boarding side of things specifically because I know um, there's a lot to sort of talk about in terms of day borders versus borders that are there obviously for the whole of term time. Can you just talk us through what that looks like at your school? So year levels that are associated with that, but I'm really keen for beginning and early career teachers to understand Mm -hmm. what that could mean for them if they're teaching, say, in the secondary part of a boarding school. Yes, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, so I'll speak a little bit about the composition of our boarding house because I think it's slightly different from some other places. Most of our students will board Sunday night through to Friday afternoon, uh, and that's because we run buses to the main areas that our boarders come from who want to go home on the weekends, principally to, to farms. So our boarding house operates over the weekend, but it's very quiet. Uh, and that'll be kids who need to stay in for sport and they're playing sport in the local community. We have a number of international students. Uh, so we had about 35 international students prior to COVID. That's obviously been whittled right down and now we're about half a dozen. Um, but they would stay in over the weekends as well, often over the holiday breaks too. We have a few students who are from further afield, a couple from WA, a couple from Melbourne, a couple from places like Geelong where they don't necessarily go back every weekend. Um, So what that means is that it's a really busy place during the week and that's compounded by the fact we also offer casual boarding. 
So given we've got a lot of kids who bust into the school but are day students, if they're playing footy for the local team or they're playing cricket and that game is going to finish at, at 8 o'clock, often their parents will put them in for casual boarding, so they might do one or two, um, one or two nights. We had just about 900 individual nightly bookings so far this year. So that's, you know, that's really significant on top of our, um, our usual boarding cohort of about 85. So what that means for the school and what, what it particularly means for an early career teacher is that they will find very prominently and very noticeably a difference between boarding students and day students. And that, that manifests itself in terms of kids obviously being around the school in the afternoon. Often they'll study in, uh, in the library before they go back to the boarding house. They'll come back down and use the sporting facilities. We have what we call a troopy, which is a, a minibus where we drive them around and drop them off all over town. So teachers will see kids hanging around. And if they spend some time in the boarding house, which we'd highly encourage them to do, they'll find out very quickly that the boarding house is the home for these students. So they'll be getting around their Ugg boots. They'll be, um, you know, mooching around on the couch with their hoodie in the same way that students do at home uh, everywhere. And, and that's a really interesting dynamic to start to navigate. If you're a teacher in class, you're obviously still an employee of the school and you're a teacher when you're in the boarding house. But that relationship is quite different because now we're in their home environment and, and rightly so. So real opportunities for our, for early career teachers to do things such as um, supervising nightly academic prep in the boarding house. So every night, uh, well, Monday, Thursday anyway, uh, we have a three-hour prep session and for all of our students, 7 to 12, in the boarding house. And we have academic staff who, who staff that every night for us, and that's part of the co-curricular obligation that, that staff have. But it's also one of the things that we find early career teachers quite like to do, one, to get to know students, Secondly, to work in a kind of tutoring capacity, but, but third, if it's above their allocation, then they get paid for it as well, which is really nice. I really like that element of um, teachers being able to develop that sort of connection with students in, in different yeah. um, spheres. I think that's important as a beginning teacher that, yeah, you're very much seen as a teacher, but then you can, you know, be a sports coach or in this case, you can go into the boarding facilities. Talk to me more broadly about a regional school. I mean, we've both worked together at the same regional school and I think yeah. it'd be fair to say we there was a real strong sense of community that we both experienced at our previous school. So how does that look from your perspective? I know you're only six months in, but what does that look like yeah. at your school? Because you've got a small school, um, you're in a regional area and it's a boarding facility. What does yeah. that look like? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, I might just back over the your, your first comment, uh, your comment, Previous to the question, if I can first, um, navigating that that line for a new teacher between teacher and someone, a staff member who's with kids outside of school, I think sometimes early career teachers will go one or two ways. They'll either be too strict when they're outside of the classroom and just stick exclusively to that persona of not smiling before Easter and you know and really making sure that they know who's in charge. Or we've seen examples, particularly with, with young teachers, where that line has become blurred in the boarding environment where they're outside of um, outside of the classroom. So I guess in, in terms of interest for, for your listeners, uh, it could, I think it's worth giving some thought to how am I going to navigate that if I'm connected in some way to students outside of school? Now, that could be in a boarding environment or, it's a very nice segue to the regionality question, um, it could be if you're coaching a sporting team, it, it could be if you're you know, at a restaurant and, and students are serving you, it could be if you're at a function, you know, you're at a, a 50th birthday for a friend or for a, a teaching colleague. In all of those situations, you are going to have students from the school there. And you, re you really, when you 
look at a regional school as a possibility for employment, you're not only thinking about it as a school to work in, you're thinking about it as a community to be part of. And as you said, we, we worked together in a particular context, which was regional and it was very community focused. But in that context, we drew students from outer suburban Melbourne. The, the catchment was very wide, as you, you'd remember. Here in Hamilton, even though the catchment is wide, the town is small and the connections are very, very strong. So obviously you need to be very cautious what you're saying about any particular person because you're probably talking to their cousin or their, you know, their brother-in-law. But for most teachers, they'll find very, very quickly that you cannot move around the town without the kids seeing you and without having to have those uh, conversations. That's one of the things that I love about teaching in a regional school. Some people hate it, um, but I, I think that's really very rewarding because you do get to see the rich, full life of a, of a student outside of them sitting in front of you in the classroom. And I think, one, it's a consideration, but I think it's a real attraction of regional schools because you get to know the families really well. You're going to be talking to them, not only a parent teacher twice a year, you're going to be talking to them every couple of weeks on the side of the sporting, you know, the sporting field when you're coaching their child. So you just need to be aware of that and you need to be able to navigate um, those questions which will come to you about school when they come outside of school. Mm, I think it's it's something I've really enjoyed um, building those relationships and and you know, years on seeing those students as yeah. they've left school, seeing them, you know, go off to university, come back, you can see them on their summer break. It's just something immensely rewarding about what we do is that you have those long connections with students well beyond they've left the school as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I was looking at moving to a regional area, um, but I don't obviously live in that location, are, are there sometimes incentives that schools might be able to sort of, you know, offer or are there ways that schools can support people? Obviously, there's just the obvious one around relocation, but yeah. talk to me about some of the things that, you know, you might offer or or you've heard being offered at other schools um, to support, yeah. you know, staff moving because it's clearly not commutable. No, it's clearly not commutable. <laughs> and we do sometimes get candidates who, you know, who clearly haven't looked up where we are on the map and, and don't realise that it's not, you know, you can't drive from Eltham. Um, a couple of um, a, a couple of different things. We don't have a set package for people in terms of relocation um, allowance. That's because everybody's situation is so different. And we've got people who are moving from Queensland to come and work with us. We've got people who are coming from uh, Melbourne. We've got people who are coming from South Africa. So there is no set uh, allocation. There is also a consideration around fringe benefits tax. So if, if I was to say to a candidate, I'm just going to pay for your accommodation and you just live in the boarding house free, then obviously that will trigger a liability uh, that we need to work through. And that's um, that's probably not something that um, early career teachers really want to get into. Mm -hmm. So the way that we manage that is negotiation through usually the academic prep sessions that I was talking about before. So, well, if you pick up two of those a week in addition to your, your allocation, which is, you know, only, only one term, if you were to do two of those a week, you're going to be paid X amount. Mm. And that that is equal to exactly, and, you know, this is not accidental, it's exactly equal to the rent that we would charge yes. um, on the accommodation that we have in the in the boarding precinct. So we work through that with individual people and um, and, and some staff will say, yep, that sounds good. I'll do that those extra shifts and that will offset the, the rent that I need to pay. Other people will say, well, I don't want to do that many shifts. I'll do half of them and then I'll pay a half rent. So that kind of thing is, is quite common. Other people say there's no way that I would like to live on the boarding, in the boarding house or in the boarding precinct. So what we can do there is we've got some really good connections, and I think this goes back to community and, and being in a regional location as well, really good connections in the real estate business. Mm -hmm. And so we'll put a call out and say we've got this great teacher who's looking to move from, uh, move from Melbourne. They don't know anybody in the region. 
um, they're looking for this type of property. What can you do for us? So th that sort of stuff is um, is is quite common. That's at the base kind of functional level of getting a place to live. But obviously, coming into a community, there's all of these other things that people need to have set up socially in terms of um, groups they might belong to. So we'll often provide a bit of a um, a welcome pack in terms of these are the groups you could get involved in. Here are some contact people. This is a parent in year ten who runs X. Yeah they'd be very happy for you to give them a call. So that type of support is um, is something that's, I think, needed for new people when they're moving into a place like Hamilton. Absolutely. It sounds like a wonderful community. So I think, you know, I really encourage, you know, anyone in their early stage of their career to think about applying for our regional schools. Yeah. Obviously, A, they're like everywhere at the moment, we've got such a shortage, but regional schools really need our support. And I think it's such a great life experience to be part of a community. And if you don't stay there for 10, 15 years, you, you know, you will make a huge impact in the time you're there and learn so much about yourself as a teacher um, from yeah. teaching in different settings. Uh, so right. I think that's, I think it's so important that people have that experience in their career. Yeah, I think so too. I'd encourage you know anybody who's listening to, to not discount the idea of living regionally because we're very realistic about um, how long people are going to stay. If someone's coming straight out of university and often that's when they are at a last stage when they can be flexible, they can move. You know, if you, if you, if someone doesn't have a partner they're coming that's, that's coming with them or they do have a partner and the partner is flexible in their work, it's a really nice time to be able to come experience something probably quite different if you've grown up in a metropolitan area and you've gone to uni in a metropolitan area experience something that's quite different. But I think one of the things that I find here, and, and I think we both found where we were previously and we know at other regional schools, the kids are just a delight. They are really just good country, you know, ask you a good question, shake your hand kind of kids. And what that translates to in the classroom, I think very frequently in the type of school like, like ours, is that you get to focus on your teaching craft. Um, we, we have behavioural issues like anywhere else. We're not in the promised land, but you get to really hone your teaching craft and you get to, to discover who you are as a as a teacher when that teacher is not only in the classroom but within the school community as well. So it's certainly worth considering. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think just yeah, and I think the develop the relationships you develop with parents, as you say, both formally as you know the parents of the children that you're teaching, but in the community, um, you yeah. end up with some really great long lasting connections and friendships as a result of that. So couldn't agree more with um, understanding the benefits of um, attending um, a regional school as your first school, or maybe as you say, when yeah. you've got opportunities in your life where you're a bit more flexible. Where would I find jobs listed? Yeah, good question. So uh, the, the obvious ones like Seek, um, LinkedIn, I will usually share um, those those jobs with um, with my LinkedIn uh, connections. So pretty easy to find, really. I mean, it's everything's online now. So if you've got a sense of um, a school that or an area, you think, oh, maybe this is this is interesting to me. You know, follow those principles, follow those schools on LinkedIn. Um, keep it send an alert on Seek, but and they'll pop up. We still use the old um, local paper, which is interesting, and, and local papers because for those candidates who are coming from within our um, within our local sphere, they they still look. Tell me, what are your tips for our beginning and early career teachers in an interview? Um, I think for me, the overarching, I guess, feel of a conversation is the most important thing. Um, if you don't know the answer to a question, it doesn't really matter in my mind um, if there's a conversation that flows, if there's a sense that you're engaging with us as people, uh, that you're answering the questions not in a way that you have just memorised and you're trying to recite as though you're in an exam, but 
just answer the question that's asked and answer it in a way which is which seems um, legitimate and, and genuine. My second tip would be do your prep on the school. Um, there's nothing worse. And this, this goes for cover letters as well. There's nothing worse than sitting through a conversation or reading a cover letter when you absolutely certain that all they've done is taken out the name of the previous school and substituted him the Hamilton and Alexandra College. It really speaks to what type of person you're going to be. It's You only need to do 20 minutes of, of research on the school. What are our values? What's our strategic plan? Where are we? What are our kids likely to be like? You know, What are our tertiary destinations like? All that sort of stuff. And put that in your cover letter and show that you've done the research and drop those kind of things into an answer that you get in, a, in an interview. So important. And I think just, um, as you say, doing your homework on the school, but just also working out, um, and I think you would do this as a, as a first step if you're applying, especially to a regional school where you don't live locally, is just, is this going to be a good fit for me? Because amongst everything, you're also going to be moving away from your own social network. So making sure you're right. going to feel comfortable that this is going to be an environment that you'll feel supported in. The interview process, being at a regional school, would I expect to see any differences between, you know, regional and metropolitan Melbourne, say? Look, possibly. Um, there's probably not a huge amount of difference. I mean, the core parts of that process will probably be fairly similar to other places. Um, we still ask for a formal written application, so letter and CV. Um, often there'll be a less formal interview first, and that might be with one of the deputy principals and a head of department if it's for an academic teaching role, and then a second interview with me. Um, at that stage, you, you are most likely the preferred candidate. One of the things that we often incorporate here is... The first interview being uh, a remote one, if someone's coming from, from Melbourne again, take that example. Um, and then for the second interview, we'd absolutely require somebody to come and visit the school. And that would be, the, the again, a formal a formal-ish discussion with me, but then a walk around the school too, because I really want to see candidates interacting with students. You know, what are they like when they're walking through the school grounds and one of the students says, hello, um, and I also need them to see, uh, particularly the boarding house, I would go and do a tour of that just to get a, a sense of our geographic location. And sometimes what we'll even do, if it's a, a perhaps a more senior role, is do a bit of a drive around the town and um, a bit of an orientation because you are you're not only choosing a school, as I've said before, you're choosing a, a, a community. And it's really important that if that's not part of the process that you go through with the regional school that you ask, uh, where should I go? Where should I, what should I have a look at in town or where should I go for dinner? Yeah. Those types of questions are really important. Yeah. So that's the only key difference in the interview process. Otherwise, pretty pretty standard. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. We've covered a lot. Um, I feel that there's so much that regional schools can offer beginning and early career teachers. There was one final question I wanted to ask you. I've just remembered what it was. Do you see it as um, an avenue sort of more for our early career teachers as an opportunity to perhaps step into middle leadership roles coming to regional areas? Do you see that often people thinking, oh, I might be able to move, combine a move um, out to the regional Victorian, perhaps looking at making the next step up in my career? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that's probably less true for uh, recent graduates, um, but for early to mid-career teachers, it can be a really good thing to hold in your mind because we don't have the luxury of a, you know, a really open pool of candidates who can just bounce between schools that are close to each other in, in a metro area. And so if, we're, if I'm looking for, again, I'll take the example of a head of department, we have really great staff here and one of the 
um, great things about a regional school is people do stay uh, and we can we develop them over time. Um, we have really good staff here, but we often don't have somebody who's looking for that step into a head of department type role. And again, I'm very realistic about the fact that given where we are, we are attractive then for people who say, well, maybe I can get a step up here that I wouldn't be able to get elsewhere where there are where there is that pool of candidates mm. um, that, that, that you would have in a metro context. So absolutely, I think if you're at that three or four or five-year mark of your teaching career and you're thinking, well, I've got my craft pretty solid, I'm ready to, to look for that next step, absolutely pin down some regional areas and start to make contact with those schools. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. Really insightful into regional and boarding schools. I appreciate you getting on and talking to us. No worries. It was a great pleasure to talk to you, Joy. I hope today's episode has sparked a little bit of curiosity about what it could be like if you consider a move to a regional location and teach at a school there. There is something really special about getting to know families in these sorts of settings. You do get to know them in and out of the classroom. Michael's offered some really good advice about how to navigate that space. So if you're at a stage in your life where you can move and you're considering a move to a regional location, I highly recommend it. Do your homework, go and visit the location, see if it's going to be a good fit for you and then try and get in touch with some schools and contact them to see what's available. The other point that Michael raised was around the support that can be offered if you do move to a regional area and it's worth having those conversations in advance of you even perhaps putting an application in at that school so you know what they can do to support you if you continue with an application. If you found this episode helpful, make sure you hit subscribe at Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts so you're the first to know when all my other episodes drop. The show notes can be found on my website, launchintoteaching.com.au. There you'll find a link to all my socials. Please drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. And if there is anything else I can cover, do let me know.